Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Detour Life. Detour Life is a game changer for both family law professionals and clients alike. Detour Life is an innovative online program which guides clients to easily input and organize the exhaustive document and financial disclosure process and provides professionals with streamlined and secure case management. In addition, Detour Life has comprehensive client onboarding, a secure document repository, income and expense sync, parenting plan agreement features, and much more. I use Detour Life myself, and honestly, one of my favorite features and one that my clients love as well is that they can securely link all of their financial accounts directly to the Detour Life platform so that their information is automatically uploaded and updated as time goes on. So whether you're getting a divorce or are a divorce professional, I urge you to check it out yourself. Go to Detour Life, that's D-T-O-U-R dot L-I-F-E, and sign up for their free 14-day trial. Then use code SUSAN20 to get 20% off a subscription. Coming up on today's episode of the Divorce and Beyond podcast. What we have gone through in this world um, during this last year is a trauma. I've talked about it here before. It's an existential ongoing trauma where our lives are in danger and are in threat. And with any trauma, anniversaries, reminders, trigger intense reactions. Hello, and welcome to the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host. As a top divorce attorney and family law mediator for 30 years, I know what you need to know to get through your divorce, and most importantly, how to move beyond it to thrive and transition to your new future. My experts and I are here to give you the insider view into the process, so listen in for the wisdom and expert information you need on your journey through divorce and beyond. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host, and I'm so happy today because I am joined again by Dr. Elizabeth Cohen, the divorce doctor. Hi, Elizabeth. I'm so happy you're here. Hi, Susan. I love being with you and your audience so much. I'm so happy to be here. Well, and my audience loves you. Every time you're on the show, I get so much outreach from people. And what people don't know is some people reach out with um, some some really serious questions. And I just want to you know throw some props your way because I forward those to you right away. And you reach out to people um, with answers. And so we talk about some of these issues on the show, but others, you know, we just pass on the information. But you're always so kind to my listeners and, and willing to reach out. So I want to thank you on their behalf. Thank you. My pleasure. And and I'm just thrilled you're back. You and I just spent the past half hour talking to each other and catching up. But now, now we're going to dive into, we touched on it a bit ahead of time, but we are taping this episode on March 1st. So we are rolling around to the anniversary of COVID. We are one year in. Um, and you know, I said this to you earlier when we were talking. Um, if we had known a year ago when we started hearing this COVID-19 and pandemic and all these words, if we had known what was ahead of us, I don't know 
how we would have, you know, gotten through it. It's almost like ignorance was bliss at that time. Um, I remember thinking and treating it as if it were just an extended snow day at first, and I was going to eat ice cream and hang out and Netflix and chill for a while or whatever, you know, watch my binge on Netflix. And a year later, um, you know, it's we, we live in a different world, and there's so much that comes from that. Um, and I've talked to so many people, and you and I have done episodes on the psychological impact of COVID and all of the different things. But, you know, I'd love to hear your perspective on, because it was your idea to talk about this, and I'm really glad we are talking about this anniversary. So, you know, let's, let's what even made you think that this was the, this anniversary was something that we needed to cover? Um. I'm always so impressed also, Susan, with your willingness to dive into the mental health aspects of what's going on and how, for your audience, um, how much you you know really believe in the importance of understanding mental health in order to thrive. So I just want to thank you for being an advocate and giving me a platform to be able to talk about it. So thanks for that. Um, The reason I wanted to talk about the anniversary is because what we have gone through in this world um, during this last year is a trauma. I've talked about it here before. It's an existential ongoing trauma where our lives are in danger and are in threat. And with any trauma, anniversaries, reminders, trigger intense reactions. So anyone who's lost someone um, you know, prior to COVID knows what the first, you know, Christmas or the first Hanukkah or the first birthday is like without the person who you loved. There is, we are cyclical. And so we do have these emotional responses to anniversaries. And in my practice, I am noticing more and more people, unfortunately, saying things like, why am I not getting more used to this? Or why is this still bothering me? And so I think it's profoundly important to say, number one, I don't want you ever to get used to trauma. Please, like, I don't want you to get used to this. And know that not only are you not getting used to this, but this time of year is going to be increasingly more difficult because there's so much shame around discomfort. We've talked about that on this podcast before, that people think they're supposed to just conquer something because you've been in it for long enough, when actually that means you've had more cortisol um, seeping through your body. You've had more loss. You've had more grief. So why in any way would you then somehow get adjusted to it or should it be easier? So I really wanted to bring this up so people could feel validated if they're struggling right now, which I know people are. I, I, I love what you, you know, what you just said about acknowledging the trauma and acknowledging where people are, because, you know, I, when you think about, and I think for me, I was just thinking about, so we've cycled through a year living in a completely different way. And if we look back and I think of life before March of 2020 and life forever, after 2020, right? March of 2020, there's a dividing line there. Um, and, and at 50 something, I don't know of any other time in my life where I would look back and say some seminal event occurred and life was 
infinitely different after that than before that. It's something that was completely out of our control. And, and, and that, I mean, certainly you choose to get married, you choose to move somewhere, certain choices in our life. But the advent of COVID and the changes it has wrought into our world and, and the havoc it has wreaked um, was completely un, you know, not by choice. And, you know, so there's a powerlessness to it for people. Absolutely. And one thing that I, I think, I'm so glad you brought up powerlessness because one of the things I've noticed personally, but I've also seen with my clients and was anticipating with this anniversary is that we're getting to the point where we can't, we're not going to be able to say very long, much longer. Like last year on this, on this day, I went to my dance class or last year at this, or get reminders from Facebook, but last year at this time you were out with your girlfriends at, for drinks, right? We're yes. kind of coming up on the, and, and that's significant because people are beginning to feel this, oh my God, that was the last time that I had some control. And a year ago. And there's something psychologically about the year mark of, oh, a year ago, I was sitting and watching Netflix. I was in COVID already. There's something very particular to right now, which is this, when you lost your freedom, essentially. Like when you, because we really, what happened was we went from a freedom to a lack of freedom and deep grief and deep loss really overnight. So I, I, um, you know, I liken it to a car accident where you're driving along. It's a beautiful sunny day. You're driving through a green light and somebody, you know, goes right into you who, who ran a light. There's nothing you could have done. You didn't see it coming. And then your, your life can be changed. And that's, that's basically what happened for us. We didn't have any preparation time. And our nervous systems really need preparation time in order to feel settled. So we are all still shaking from what I consider a shock trauma of what happened on March 15th or March 17th. And I think about like before, COVID, you know, really like before COVID and after I remember hearing um, on the news, one of the newscasters was of course, in my perspective, I thought it was being like really dramatic, you know, like this is a big deal and they're not doing anything about. And my daughter, who's um, 13, said to me, I'm worried about this COVID that I heard about. And I remember sitting by her bed and saying, honey, a few years ago, there was Ebola. And here's what happened. Two people came to New York. We live in New York with it. They isolated them. They figured it out. They treated them. And I remember that moment of reassurance in her face. And then to a week later for us to be, we fled from New York. I remember her saying, but you said it was going to be like Ebola, right? Yeah. And so that moment of not, you know, just seeing in her eyes, but my experience of, I really thought we were going to be okay. And then suddenly we deeply were not okay. And that is really transformative. And I want people to understand that. Yeah. Yeah, well, and you know what you just said there is the the there was such a long stretch of this sinking in. I think for so many people, um, as I said, I thought of it. I truly thought of it as this is going to be a couple of weeks. We are all going to stay in our houses for a couple of weeks, and then we'll go back to life as it was just a few weeks ago. And then today, 
thinking one year later, you know, I ran out this morning and you grab your car keys and your purse and your mask and your hand sanitizer and you head out the door and you don't think a thing of those are being the necessaries to get out the door and run to the grocery store. And I get to the grocery store and I grab a wipe and I wipe down the cart and I've got my, you know, and I go into hazmat mode. Um, you know, so it's just, we, we've adapted. So you said you don't want people to get used to trauma. And what I would say is we have adapted to living in this, this different way. I don't think that means that we have grown accustomed to the trauma of it or grown accustomed. And, and it's, it's something as we start to feel, you know, maybe hopefully in months in the next several months, we'll start to emerge from this time. But how how does that how does that work with trauma? So what what's it like like the first time you can go out without that mask on? Right, right. So I want to I want to um, I'm going to address that at first. I just wanted to give a little tool and a tip, if that's okay, about oh absolutely um, then and now, and then I want to talk about kind of going back into wearing how to um, release the mask. <laughs> <laughs> Let it go. Exactly. Um, so there's so one of the things that's really important when you've had a shock trauma, like I just discussed, is to be really clear around the anniversary about what was then and what is now. So just a few weeks ago, we were in the house where we had gone during COVID, and I was having a lot of trauma flashbacks, just feeling incredibly trapped. Like we were leaving the next day, but my body felt like I wasn't going to leave, and I I just felt like I was back in 2020, and so I pulled out a piece of paper. I wrote, made a line down the middle and I wrote then and now. And this is what I would encourage everyone to do, to write down what was happening then and what is happening now. I am blessed and lucky enough to be double vaccinated, right? So in one year, we have a vaccine that will keep 95% keep people from getting this disease that only started a year ago. Like that is miraculous, right? We have that now. Back then, we didn't know if it spread on surfaces. We didn't know if it was airborne. We didn't know if we needed masks. Like It's really important to realize that so much we didn't know and what we do know now. You're still in your house. You're still wearing a mask. There are still some similarities, but there are some incredibly important distinctions that you want your nervous system to know. And I want to acknowledge that when you do this, there is also something underlying both then and now, which is deep grief. Even if you personally have not lost someone, as social beings, we are all touched by the enormity of lives that are lost. It is hanging over us. And so I want to also encourage people to allow that grief to not just focus on when are we going to get out of here, but to know we're going to get out of here. I mean, we're going to move through it. We're going to get through this difficult time. And there's so much grief. It's similar to the work I do with divorce. It's like, you have to do both. You you can get excited about the next chapter, but you have to grieve the relationship. And so I just, I guess I just want people to know that they, they really can do both. And going back to your question about the mask, I think the more you process the grief the easier it will be to eventually step out into whatever our world looks like. And it will never look like it did before. 
It just won't. Just like when you're in a car accident, you're not going to drive a car ever in the same way. Right. And I, you know, that you say that and you're talking, you mentioned grief, you know, I'm thinking there is the loss of life. There's, I just read the statistics this morning, we're well over half a million deaths here in the United States. We're over 2 million deaths worldwide. I mean, those numbers are hard to even really get your head around, but the grief goes so, so widespread from that. I mean, I talked to um, one friend who's just, who's grieving for her children who did, never got a real graduation. One was graduating from high school. One was graduating from college. There, you know, so they and then college started for the one who graduated from high school, and it's remote college, so that child's still home. Um, and just what you just said, we're never going back to 2019. We're never going to go back to that world. It is gone. It may the changes some of them may be positive, some of them may be negative, but just grieving that we're never going back and the, some of the things that are lost, people who couldn't get married with a big family wedding. Um my friend went through cancer surgery and treatment and had to do it alone because I couldn't go with her, you know, because of COVID. I mean, so there's so many levels of this grief. Yes, yes. And and the funerals, right? And the people oh. who were in the hospitals and had to be alone. I mean, you're exactly right. It is there's so many levels of grief. And if we don't acknowledge them, we're not going to be able to move through this time. I mean, I think. Something else that's coming up, Susan, I don't know if people have talked to you about this, but my clients have, of this real fear, and I think this is related to the grief, of getting back. Of My my clients, it feels like they think that someone's going to knock on the door and like push them out before they're ready. I mean, we joke that everyone has a bit of agoraphobia. And you have to remember, like, we're not going back overnight. Like I keep telling people, I say that I share this on this podcast, everything is like small steps that are measurable. Like you're not going right back to anything. You're doing things that are slow, that are comfortable for you. So there isn't this need to jump, you know, one way or the other, you know, you don't have to jump into health or jump into, you know, excitement just because you might be able to do that now. I really want to let people know that because I'm hearing that a lot, like this, a lot of anxiety about, and and by the way, if you're like, you know, you can hear that if you're double that, you know, you're fully vaccinated, you can do something and not be scared. You might still be scared. You might need to take some slow steps. You might be able, quote unquote, to take your mask off, but not feel comfortable yet. Think about what you've been going through. Again, a trauma. It's like if you were in a car accident, you might not drive on the freeway for a little bit, for a little longer. You'll eventually get there, but maybe not the first day you're in the car. Yeah. Yeah. And it's such a, I mean, that is such a good point because, you know, I've actually noticed and felt that myself. You and I just were talking about, and I told you I'm going to soon see my mother who I haven't seen since the holiday season of 2019, so over a year. And I don't think since I was born, I don't think I've not seen my mother in person since, so that's a good long time. Um, and But I'm also a little fearful about it because I'm, I'm 
afraid, not for myself, but I'm afraid of anything happening to my mom. By the time I'll see her in a few weeks, she'll ha- she'll be double vaccinated. Um, I will, you know, be taking all precautions. But yeah, you know, there's still anxiety around it um, that going forth. Right, and I wonder, Susan, what it would look like if you just were patient and compassionate with that, and just said, you know what, I'm maybe I'll double mask, even though she's, you know, whatever makes me feel more comfortable so that my nervous system can be at ease when we're together. Because what's most important is the two of you being together. And whatever's going to make you feel more comfortable in the moment, I would say do that. People are asking me like, oh, especially for kids, like, oh, my kid's acting a little bit like looking, having, showing some signs of obsessive compulsive disorder. Should I worry? And I keep saying, let's wait till this is over and see kind of where we net out because obsessive compulsive disorder symptoms is actually adaptive right now. So I want to encourage you to focus on just connecting to your mom. If that means you have, you know, face shields, whatever makes you feel comfortable, do that so that you can be at ease enough to connect. Yeah, I think that that's, you know, something I think we'll all start, you know, struggling with as we, I feel like we're little animals that will slowly start emerging from our dens. Or like when I had a hamster when I was a kid growing up and you'd look in there and all you'd see were the shavings and all of a sudden this little, you know, thing would pop out with the nose wiggling. I feel like a nose wiggling hamster. Um, (laughs) Exactly, that it's going to take that time. and, And again, just like you need to acknowledge how challenging this anniversary date is going to be, I want you to also acknowledge you know, that it's going to take some time to slowly push out. We have such high expectations for us really not to have any emotions and any feelings. But I say this over and over. The more you don't express your feelings, the more they come out sideways. I mean, you're going to have them. So if you just allow yourself to have them, it'll be better for you and everyone who you get to spend any time with. Hello, listeners. I just want to thank everyone who has gone and already signed up to become members of the Divorce and Beyond members-only community. Those people who have signed up are already enjoying all of the exclusive benefits of membership, which include downloadable materials, the archive of the podcast, which is all ad-free. You get exclusive members-only podcast episodes, the Ask Susan Anything forum. And in fact, we've just uploaded a new answer to that. There's a monthly membership newsletter, and we're going to have videos, including the one that we just loaded from Dr. Kabeca from last week on getting your sexy back. So come on over to divorceandbeyondpod.com and join the community. It's only $10 a month, and we can't wait to welcome you there. Stay tuned for more from Susan and her guest, Dr. Elizabeth Cohen, the divorce doctor, helping you through the trauma of difficult anniversaries. So I do think even in marriages that are really struggling, you've probably had to do things and say things and confront things and manage things that you wouldn't have had to otherwise. And it sucks And there is, you know, post-traumatic growth. There is something that happens where we learn a muscle by practicing. If you are enjoying this episode, check out 5050 Parenting, Why Equal Responsibility is the Key with Emma Johnson, founder of Wealthy Single Mommy. My message is it has to be equality. If we want equality, you have to be taking equal responsibility for these kids. Truly. And that's not easier said than done, right? 
And now we return to today's show. Yeah, and I wonder too, because this has occurred to me and I I just want to run it by you. COVID and this year that we've all gone through, we've talked about the trauma. It's been difficult. It's been literally life-altering forever. But but there have been positives as well. Like there have been things... um, you know, that that for some people have been positives. And I wouldn't say everybody has experienced silver linings, but many people that I know have. Um, and is there, it, it seems to me there has to be value in acknowledging those silver linings. And, and there's a guilt almost associated with that as well, though. So you know my favorite line about the golden ant. Yes. So <laughs> absolutely. I mean, there is deep grief and deep awareness of so much loss. And you personally can have had abundance. And I think that pushing that away is just like pushing away the negative emotion. It's not your full experience. You need to witness your full experience. Otherwise, you are not living your full best life. So I've said this, you know, you can feel deeply deeply sad that people have lost their lives, their loved ones, their jobs. It is, it's devastating. I mean, I I feel that in my, in my core. And I also have been able to have lunch every day with my kids and my husband. I have been able to deeply slow down in a way that I don't know if I would have been able to without COVID. And it's not that Again, you know, even as I say that, I can feel myself being like, well, don't forget about the, but it's not an either or, it's both. It's both. And no one, you know, no one needs, you know, it's the whole idea I think of in in a lot of um, racist work, like about white fragility. Like you don't have to be like, oh, I feel so bad that I have it so good. Like that doesn't help anybody. Just own, just own, just right. It doesn't help anyone to be like, feel guilty, like that you have things, like you have things and people do not. And you can have both of those feelings at the same time. Yeah. And, and I've talked to people and one thing that I've, I've had a lot of discussions about for people, and this might resonate with my listeners, uh, because there's been such a focus on the negative effects of what you just talked about being in your in your home for this very extended, very claustrophobic period of time with your family. But you just referenced it, and I would reference it the same way, as a positive. We've gotten that opportunity to spend more time with our loved ones, our family. Has it always been easy? No. (laughs) I mean, there, you know, you get that many people under a roof, it's not always easy. But there's been such a societal focus on the negativity of being and I hear words like trapped in the house together, Um, you know, marriage, the divorce rates skyrocketing because of it. And that's not necessarily true. I'm really glad you're bringing this up because I want to talk about also the opportunity that people have had to build different muscles. You know, so I know for me with my teenagers, both of them have had periods of deep struggle during this. And if it wasn't COVID, in some ways, and I wished for this, trust me, they would go to school. And then by the end of the day, when they got home from school, they, maybe they didn't want to talk about it. Maybe we could kind of like blow, you know, it could blow over. I had to deal with it, right? They were here, they were crying, they were in need. I had to cancel clients. Like I had to practice this muscle of crisis intervention with my kids. And 
I now know I can have that. And we will, I will need that muscle in my life with them at different times. And so I do think even in marriages that are really struggling, you've probably had to do things and say things and confront things and manage things that you wouldn't have had to otherwise. And it sucks. And there is, you know, post-traumatic growth. There is something that happens where we learn a muscle by practicing. Yeah. And it's brought those situations for so many people home. I always talk about the experience of mediation and people come in and, you know, usually a couple that has reached the point of divorce is not in a position of stellar communication. You know, something has usually broken down with that, but part of the mediation process and part of what a good skilled mediator would do in facilitating their conversation is help them learn new pathways of communication, how to phrase things, how to talk to each other again. And in many ways, COVID has been kind of a, you know, incubator for people having to learn how to communicate in new ways. I love your phrase um, of, you know, building a new muscle or strengthening a muscle that we already have. And, you know, that's a silver, maybe not a silver lining, but it's a, it is a positive a coping mechanism, I guess that I would call it, or effect um, for so many of us. And if, you know, I, I, I like looking at it from that perspective as opposed to from the, well, it's all been so hard and it's COVID's fault. In fact, COVID shown a light on something. Maybe. Exactly. I'm going to give you a very you know privileged example that I will admit as a New Yorker who lives in New York City. Um, so we've always had someone clean our house. And in fact, a few years ago, I had someone come every day to clean our house because I just hate mess and I do not like cleaning. Well, COVID hit and I had to learn how to clean. And I now have, I mean, I now have a Saturday mornings. I I, first of all, I have this whole routine where I clean. I also clean a little bit each day. My kids clean their own room. My kids clean their bath. It's required us to me and all of us to learn a skill we didn't have. Now that's a very small frivolous one and a privileged one, but it's an example of something that I wouldn't have had to learn how to do if it wasn't for COVID. And I think a lot of people are learning things. And so maybe that's another tool we could give Susan, which is make a list of the, of the skills that you've learned over COVID, not, you know, only like making sourdough bread, but you know, how to negotiate about who takes out the trash. I mean, all these things that you didn't have to deal with when people were together all the time, how to get groceries when you can't go into the grocery store, right? I mean, all of these very creative things that you've been able to do. So I think that could be a great idea is really focus on, yes, there's the grief and the loss, but what did I, learn what skills instead of like what did I gain but like what skills did I hone and learn over this yeah what muscles did I start to build I wish it was more of my actual muscles because that because that's been I saw something posted the other day that said you know when um COVID is over will you go back to in-person gym uh, you know workout classes and things like that and I'm like god yes I miss my you know my soul cycle and my going to the gym there just was something about that and I've not I wish I'd adapted better to doing that at home, but I am learning how to do things better. And and you're right. 
That I love that idea of writing down skills that you've you've honed or learned um, during this time. I learned I'd always cooked a little bit, but one of the things that I've started doing, and th- it's thank you to HelloFresh because, um, I, but we've been using it. I just looked the other day; we've gotten something like thirty boxes of HelloFresh during COVID. But it means I always have fresh food and I always have a recipe and I can always whip out a dinner in 30 minutes at the end of a, even a long day. And I love it. It's like, it's it's now this thing I look forward to at the end of my day. And then my husband and I sit down at a table and eat together, something we hardly ever did. No. So, I mean, just those little things that are things actually that I think will carry forward beyond... This. Well, I also have recommended to clients to write down like what they want to keep. So yeah. what they want to keep from COVID, um, you know, what do they want to make sure? Because there are things that really shifted. And, and I, I think most people that are probably listening, you know, if you would tap them on the shoulder in February and said, what's your, you know, what's your biggest stress? You'd say, I don't have enough time. So I would also recommend people saying, what do they want to take with them? So what are the things that you want to continue? Because again, like I was saying that most people would think that, oh, I didn't have enough time. And so we now know what it looks like to have the most, I mean, I really hope I get to keep the like spaciousness of the weekends where I don't have things planned and I can read an entire book on the weekend. Like that is so lovely. And I never would have honestly like allowed myself to do that. And so now that I have, I hope that I can. So I really would encourage people to think about what they want to take with them too. Yeah, it's actually a conversation that might be a great family conversation. You know, as you start to emerge from the hibernating nest as what do we as a family want to continue? I, You know, my husband and I have talked about the cooking and the eating dinner together and the remote working. So we're, we've started to adapt our life to a lifestyle that we like and want and and have put a lot of thought into because now we have that ability to to at least count on some remote work even when the world maybe goes back to having in yeah. offices. And it's been interesting to see how many people have moved a lot of you know and and kind of right kind of had this desi- this this desire that we kind of pushed down and we thought oh no no you know I'm not ready for that or something and yeah. Right. And so this kind of ignite, it also ignited a lot, I think, for people. Yeah. Well, and the interesting part is, is, you know, although in the beginning of COVID, I thought of it as just sort of a holding pattern, a time when life was in a, in pause and then big changes have actually happened, you know, during this, this year, as we've been talking about, about throughout some by choice, some not as much by choice. Right. And I wonder if when, if part of this is if we slow down, what is important, just get, like you said, you know, just kind of spotlight on what gets important. And again, I want to say, unless you were, you yourself were sick or had to take care of people who were sick or lost somebody. I mean, you and I are both fortunate that no one in our close families has had that. So we've been able to talk about the golden Anne. Like we've been able to have these growth experiences because we haven't been weighted, weighted down by our own personal grief. Um, And so I think it's also just important to know that you know, this idea of, you know, right now we're coming up on a year when everything shifted. 
And that is significant. And we live in the culture that just doesn't think emotions or feelings or tra- trauma is should be valued when, and really work and output should be, you know. So I have noticed a lot of my clients and myself at times, you know, using work or overworking to cope with the stress. Right, we're home anyway. What's the a lot of overworking? So I really want to warn people around this anniversary. Watch out, you know, make yourself a vacation. Right, (laughs) yeah, right. Like when you get down to Florida, yeah. Like when you get down to Florida, take a few days. I think it's also going to be very hard for people to pause and not work, and you know, really consider taking a day or taking two. You know, in in. I was brought up in um, Orthodox Judaism and in Orthodox Judaism for a year after somebody dies, there's this time where you don't celebrate and you, you, you mourn. And then on the year anniversary, you light a candle and there's special prayers. And so I have talked to a lot of my clients about lighting candles on, on, for me, it's March 15th to really kind of honor those who've passed and also this time in our life. And really, you know, ritual is incredibly important for acknowledging where we are. I I love that idea. I am going to be lighting a candle and thinking of you and thinking of all of my listeners and all that's happened in this year and all that's coming. You know, we have have blessings and we have challenges. You know, we are all going forward. Um, but there's some great tips. And, yeah. we will, and we will move through this. I mean, we will move through it. We will look differently when we come through it and things will be different, but there is always forward movement. And I want people to know that, that along the forward movement, I'm just asking you to honor your feelings and your process as we move through this anniversary. Yeah. And the one now I do want to, because, uh, you know, I'm putting it on my calendar. I'm going to be lighting a candle. This episode will come out, I think, on the 15th, which is that anniversary. So if you're listening today, everybody go grab that candle, light it and and think and honor honor your past year and honor what's coming ahead for us. Um, I do know that one of the positives of having this past year and and time is that you have two exciting uh, births as we'll call them. You referenced maternity leave earlier and blew my mind. <laughs> but no, it's you You recently birthed your, your podcast, the Divorce Doctor podcast, and coming in April next month is your book. So tell us about both. Yeah, well, it's interesting because um, my book, which is called Light at the Other Side of Divorce, Discovering the New You, you know, really is an example of the light that can come through something so difficult and so painful. And I think it's really beautiful timing that it's going to be coming out in April when, you know, at least for us in the Northern Hemisphere, it will be getting a bit warmer. We'll be able to be outside longer. We'll be able to congregate safely outside. So I'm really excited about this being a companion to that little step out. Um, and people can find out about my book my book, um, and sign up. Actually, if you pre-order my book, you get automatically enrolled in three free workshops that are exclusive to people who pre-order about living in the afterglow of divorce, 
co-parenting and dating again after divorce. So that's at my website, drelizabethcohen.com. And then my podcast is the other amazing experience that I've had over this year. I feel like I was also hibernating like the hamsters, talking to all amazing people like Susan, whose hers is coming out very soon around the book. And talking to them about their stories and then sharing them. And the feedback I've been getting for other people hearing other, you know, divorce stories has been so powerful. So that's the divorce doctor. You can get in it where any podcasts are. And it's, it's been so beautiful to watch people's process. And, and just so you know, the focus of the podcast is also the light. It's focusing on what, what kind of light comes from the divorce process. Well, I I cannot wait for the book. I love the podcast. I, I've I've mentioned in in the episodes coming out soon I, that um, I was very honored to be a guest, and I have to say. You know, having gone through my own divorce and it colored my life in so many ways, especially as a divorce attorney. But I had I'd never sat down and unpacked all that, and so it, for me, it was a transformative experience just to have that opportunity to sit with you and and tell my story and tell the story of that experience. So I hope that it helps somebody who who listens. But your podcast is wonderful. I cannot wait for the book, and you'll be back on right around when the book is launching, so that we can talk. About about the book specifically, everyone. Um, but as always, Dr. Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining me and my listeners. Oh, my pleasure. And if any of your listeners, again, have any specific questions about mental health issues, feel free to reach out and we can cover it on the next podcast if they want. You can send it to divorceandbeyondpod at gmail.com. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today on the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I hope you found some information and inspiration to help you on this journey. Please join me every Monday at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for a new episode. And if you like the show, please take the time to subscribe and leave me a five-star review on iTunes. You can also find more information on the website at divorceandbeyondpod.com where you'll find links to the YouTube channel, transcripts of the episodes, and other bonus content. So I'll see you next week to help you move through your divorce and beyond.